Well, luckily this week, I think we said everyone's name correctly. Yes. <laughs> Welcome to The Geek in Review, the podcast focused on innovative and creative ideas in the legal industry. I'm Marlene Gaybauer. And I'm Greg Lambert. So Marlene, in this episode, we are talking with social media platform Fishbowl CEO and founder Matt Sambuli. So you pointed out to me a few weeks ago about Fishbowl, which is just entering into the legal vertical for social media. Yep. So, um, and again, it's a kind of a unique way for professionals within that same industry to anonymously engage each other, but it also kind of keeps the troll factor down uh-huh, a little bit. It does. <laughs> so how was it that you actually came across Fishbowl? Well, you know, it's funny. I got um, an invite from a contact of mine, and I wasn't really sure what this was. And so I remember sort of reaching out to you and a few other people and saying, hey, have you heard about this? And everyone's like, oh, that sounds suspicious. <laughs> yeah, I, I was very suspicious. I was expecting huge troll factor. So as, as usual, I didn't listen to you. And... Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I signed up and I was, I was looking and, you know, I, I reported back. I was like, you know, it really doesn't seem trolly at all. Mm-hmm. Um, it actually seems like it's got some pretty good content. Then the next thing I know I hear from you, it's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I know <laughs> yeah. It's like, you're right. Jumped, jumped right in. Yeah. Well, well, and there was a lot of discussion at my firm because people started getting invites to it. And immediately everybody was like, well, you know, what is What's this? That? I, oh, should we shut this down? And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not sure that's, this is that's, something that's going to go on. That's fair. I mean, that yeah. that's totally fair. Yeah. Well, uh, should be a very fascinating conversation that we have with Matt later I think on. So. so let's dive into this week's information inspiration. First. All right, I'll go first. First one I have is real quick. The American Association of Law Libraries is leading the way again for open access to scholarly journals. They have opened up access to the Law Library Journal and AAWL Spectrum Magazine, which had been open before, but you had to actually sign up. You had to give your name and email account to get into it, and they've done away with that. I think it's a great way for the organization to get the voice of the members out to a bigger audience. So, you know, I, I applaud the executive board for doing this and do a quick shout out to the editors who we both know mm-hmm. uh, and have both been on the been show. On, been on the show, yeah. <laughs> so uh, We're the so Spectrum well editors, uh, Steve Lasteris, and the LLJ editor, Tom Gaylord. I am happy that we are able to actually have true open access for these. Yeah, that's, that's terrific. Thank you all. All right, so I'm going to sneak in a tiny one. All right. And then I'm going to have mine, okay? So are you ready? <laughs> ready. Uh, and, and this really just came up. So um, another person that we have had on the podcast, Hannah Block Weber, will be publishing an a uh, an article in I believe it's the Cornell yeah Cornell Law, Law Review. Review this coming spring, and she tackles a really interesting topic, and it it kind of reflects a little bit on what I was talking about last week about uh, Make Me Smart and Cambridge Analytica. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and what it what it's about is how too much automation in terms of you know as it as it's applied to to regulation of different platforms can actually hurt the people that it's trying to help mm-hmm. because it becomes much more desirable for law enforcement it allows corporations to control what the automation is so with without 
a deeper regulation, Mm -hmm. we're essentially allowing them to kind of do whatever they want. It's really good. So check that out, everybody. Yeah, and if you haven't listened to the uh, podcast with with her on before, it's really good as well. She talks about the algorithm black box um, that we get. So. So my first information inspiration was about open access. I'm going to flip it now because I was pretty upset to learn that the uh, the National Archives censored a display that they put out, uh, which which this was an anniver- was the to celebrate the hundredth anniversary of of women's suffrage. So it showed an old march and then a, a new march. The 2017 women's march. Women's march. Yeah. Apparently, someone at the National Archives thought it was a great idea to kind of fuzz out some of the words that were on the the placards uh, of the protesters, which included the name of the president, um, which included the uh, reference to certain female body parts. (laughs) And so I... You know, you can kind of see where some what somebody was thinking. I can't kind of see that, but at all. it's not not for the National Archives. You know, archivists with and librarians <laughs> don't do this. Now, I I will say this that um, and I and I've been a big follower of, of David Ferriero uh, for a long time since he took over as archivist of, of the United States. I think he made the right decision to quickly, as soon as this came out that the photo had been edited, they came out and posted on their website that they were wrong, that they shouldn't have done it, that they were pulling the display, and that they were putting up a new display with the photo unedited. That being said, you know, there's, we live right now in an environment where people or will intentionally accept things that they know are propaganda and probably lies because it fits their narrative. Right. And it's up to folks like librarians and archivists to be above that fray. And so although they made a correction, it's a shame because this is now a black eye on the National Archives, and it makes you wonder if they're going to be able to do this again or if they've done it before. Behavior's called into question. Um, you know, it's like one mistake, you know, how many times do you have to get it right after that for people to, to trust you again? Um, you know, it's, it's, it's unfortunate. Yeah. It's unfortunate. So I, I, Greg, I wanted to end, uh, our inspirations on a very positive note because I saw this really great story and it's, it's about how two brothers managed to make characters of their spoken language with the help of Microsoft and and some others and it's just it's wonderful. So so there's two brothers, the Barry brothers, and they are from the Full Bay people and they were dispersed around West Africa and they've been settling in different countries from Sudan to to Senegal. So more than 40 million people speak Fufulde. There's estimates like between 50 and 60 million people hmm. in 20 African countries. But they didn't have a written language. Um, So they used Arabic, sometimes they used Latin to write their native tongue. These brothers basically would, would, when they were younger, would decipher these letters for friends and it was very hard to read. So what they did is they, they developed their own system. They developed their own alphabet with 28 letters, 10 numerals, written right to left. 
Um, and then they added some additional ones in other African languages and borrowed words. Um, you know, they started basically with, you know, teaching their, their sister and doing this just sort of internally. They, the language they created is called Aldem. And it started spreading sort of beyond sort of the, you know, Senegal and some of the other areas I was talking about. The brothers felt so strongly that they needed to sort of teach other people. So one brother moves to Portland, Oregon. The other one stays at home. So they, they wanted to refine the letters. And so the brother in the States went to a calligraphy class at Portland Community College. And the instructor was just completely blown away as to what the, the story was. And he got a scholarship to a calligraphy conference you know, ultimately, he got introduced to to Michael Evanson, who was one of the editors of the Unicode standard. And, you know, with his help, they were able to put Adlam into Unicode. Hmm. And then Microsoft gets in, involved because they, uh, um, they give expertise to the Unicode tech committee. Basically, there was so much, so much interest that, um, you know, Microsoft also helped out. And they work with designers to develop a font. So basically now they have their own written language and, you know, this is going to have a huge impact on, on literacy, you know, throughout that community and enable them to be part of, of the Windows e ecosystem. I think this was just one of those feel-good stories right. in terms of, you know, keeping a culture alive and allowing people that are spread in a wide variety of places to communicate and sort of retain a bit of their, their heritage. Very interesting. So. Hmm. And that wraps up this week's Information Inspirations. Greg, I remember when I first told you about Fishbowl and how it was a social media platform where lawyers and other legal professionals could post questions and make comments anonymously. I remember you saying, you know, all that you could think of was it sounded like the makings of a dumpster fire. Yeah, a huge dumpster <laughs> fire. Yeah. You, you were very skeptical. <laughs> but I, I know that, that you played around with it for a few weeks and, you know, come to appreciate it to be a place where people actually ask good questions and get decent answers. Yeah. So this is the brainchild of today's guest, Matt Sambuli who started this in the finance industry and has since expanded into other professions. So let's see what he has to say about how Fishbowl is doing in the legal industry. I'd like to welcome Matt Sunbuli to the Geek in Review. Uh, Matt is CEO and co-founder of Fishbowl. Welcome to the show, Matt. Welcome. Thanks, Greg Marlene. Thanks for having me. Hey, Matt, can you give us just a brief introduction of yourself and, and some background that led you to your co-founding of Fishbowl? Yeah, absolutely. So prior to Fishbowl, um, a bit of a serial entrepreneur, had three other startups. One of them scaled to a, a few dozen employees. The other two failed. Common story for entrepreneurs. Yeah. Well, hopefully you failed fast. <laughs> yeah, it was fast. The other, the other two was easily fast. And in fact, the, the last one right before Fishbowl ended up using a lot of the, the tooling that was created for that software to be a bit of a, an acquisition engine for Fishbowl. So, you know, managed to create, yeah, some, some efficiency there. But um, yeah, my background is a bit of a, a, a digital product guy and a media guy. So I kind of appreciate both sides of the, of the coin. Um, increasingly, most media companies are digital companies and most tech companies are media digital companies are, are media companies. It's kind of like, you know, Facebook used to be a tech company, but now it's a media company. Right. Uh, and then it's the opposite way around. So, um, and yeah, I think Fishbowl 
in, in earnest really got going around 2016, where I met up with a co-founder of mine who was at a, an incubation spot for my last startup, and we just kind of hit it off. We came together on the general idea of how do you bring some of the, uh, let's call it the cool, organic conversation you see in, in, in social media about your social lives into, into your professional life, you know? Mm. There's all this fodder in your professional life that's meaningful, that's impactful, that, and that's not shared. Right. And, you know, LinkedIn doesn't do it, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> and, and so we kind of wanted to tackle that. So what was your idea behind Fishbowl? In fact, may, may maybe want we to should say, of, what is Fishbowl? <laughs> I want to just say, what is, what is Fishbowl before we jump in? Um, so Fishbowl at its core is a social network for professionals to come together either within the same industry or because they have same relevant work experiences with the goal of having open and kind of candid conversations about the workplace. So on the one hand, when you look at traditional professional networks, LinkedIn, for example, what we witnessed both from kind of user endpoint of experience being a LinkedIn user, as well as interviewing a lot of, a lot of folks on there, it feels very self-promotional. Um, when you're going to LinkedIn and to what degree you are having a conversation, you're sharing a very exciting white paper or, um, you know, <laughs> or, or your podcast <laughs> or, or your podcast <laughs> or, or, your, or, or your packet. And there's nothing wrong with that. Right. I mean, there, there, there are a lot of laudable moments, but you're right. It's not conversational really. Right. Yeah. It lacks some of that, that conversational dynamic. That's really comes down to. And, and so that's one element to fishbowl because it's mobile first, because some of the identity controls, which we can talk about in a second, it, there's more of a conversational feel to it. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, I think other networks that are professionally oriented, like a like a, a Glassdoor, for example, they're similar, but for them, it's less less of a self promotion aspect. And again, it's it's more of a kind of a real time aspect. Yeah, there's a real time nature to it. You might post a question or a response, and within seconds or minutes, another professional across the country will respond. There's an excitement to that. Mm-hmm. So you talked a little bit about um, LinkedIn and and Glassdoor and the differences. You know, what about some other platforms like you know, say like the Vault or even things like Facebook groups? You know, it, it's funny we get we get all these like movie mixed metaphors, but on, on a, in a text based like, oh, you guys are LinkedIn meets Reddit meets this meets that. And mm-hmm. the truth is, you know, we're we're products of what we use. You know, so myself and Lauren, my co-founder. We use all these networks, and so there's elements of these networks that make their way into Fishbowl just because we're end users of those products, honestly. And so when you look at um, some of those, I think Glassdoor, for example, for us, you know, I really never enjoyed the fact that it, it felt very static, and it felt like, um, frankly, a moment in time an employee would come and just plaster their opinion. Sometimes it's almost invariably disgruntled employee. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was semi-valuable where you might glean some insight from it, but there was no responsibility to it. Like, you couldn't, re- you can't respond to that user and expect an answer. Right. And so I think Fishbowl is, is different from the Glassdoor dynamic in that because of the mobile platform, because of the real-time nature, because of the relevance, all these professionals are kind of grouped together and they have similar work experiences, work for similar companies. A person may have opinion, you can rebut it or you can acknowledge it or you can add to it, and you can't really do that on Glassdoor, right? It's just like the mm-hmm. static platform. So that's the Glassdoor component. And then the other one that comes to mind, you know, you know, Reddit, obviously. Right. As Another thing I thought of was um, the, the, the old time above the law, that basically you had people being able to post anonymously there, but uh, it was definitely kind of a different feel than, than what I've seen in, in Fishbowl. Right. So what's interesting, and I had this conversation with – 
Um, Greg, earlier on our, our, I guess, pre-call is that there is an above-the-law forum in every industry we launch to. Right. <laughs> like, you know, there was this blog, and they had an anonymous comment section, and it got nasty pretty quickly. And, and literally, in advertising, it was agencies buy. There was a version in consulting. So every professional services industry we've launched to thus far has had that precedent. And so in that sense, it's good that there's a bit of a user behavior or familiarity with it. On the other side of the coin, however, it's kind of bad because invariably the experiences on those forums were kind of toxic. Yeah, very yeah. much so. You know, the, the, the users were, were fully anonymous. There was a lack of accountability and sometimes even a lack of relevance if someone who you know, comes from a different background in law or a different type of a, a different tier of law firm comes in and says something. Right. And so I think Fishbowl, we've, we've, we've sought to solve that by A, we have this, you know, I think Greg, you called it verified anonymity uh, platform. We, we kind of call it like verified with flexible identity, but it's the same thing. You're getting at the, the same gist, which is when users sign up to Fishbowl, there's a very onerous registration process. And when you compare it to other networks, you know, sometimes users block. Honestly, it's, you know, your professional demographic, you have to prove that you work at a company with a work email validation. 60% um, of our users give access to their mobile contact books so we can find other professionals and validate the fact. You know, there's a lot of, you know, these steps and hurdles to get through right. to get on Fishbowl. The result is, though, there's a bit of accountability so that user who now chooses to post anonymously or pr privately with just what we call their uh, work identifier, meaning, you know, I work at Baker McKinsey or I work at uh, Kirkland, they still feel accountable because they know the platform knows who they are, right? right? And so on Fishbowl, we thread that needle where it's like your content is private, meaning you can share different points of view and opinions, and that content won't be associated with your public identity or your public profile. But your presence on Fishbowl is public, meaning you have to at least be willing to say, I am on Fishbowl. And right off the bat, that acknowledgement, I think, filters out a lot of the bad actors, frankly, who would otherwise use a platform like this for more um, nefarious reasons. So you have a lot of fishbowl, I, I guess you call them bowls or, or verticals, right? Yeah. So yeah, totally. So verticals or industries. Um, yeah. We've we've we kind of have a playbook we've launched since um, the latter part of 2016. We really got going, where we've focused first on professional services um, within the knowledge professional cohort to really launch to. Few reasons for that. We find the dynamic of you know note comparison and leveling up, meaning. You know, what's it like to work at this company or that company or is the grass greener? And there's a lot of comparing notes, a lot of leveling up, leveling down. And, and Fishbowl plays really well to that professional cohort. So we started with consulting, the management consulting world. That, that led us to the accounting world. A lot of these big four have like their accounting branches. So there's a natural right. root of mouth. We've launched to the, uh, the advertising cohort within agencies. We are going to launch to advertising within brands as well. But um, if you look at, for example... You know, the, the top umbrella network for ad agencies, WPP, Omnicom, IPG, you know, we, we're approaching almost 40% of their professionals on the network. So we're fairly large in each of those three. Law was one of the more recent ones we've launched to in the professional services category. And we've been fortunate thus far in that the, the, the engagement and the behavior is really similar, actually, to all the professional services. And it, actually, most similar to consulting in that there's a lot of informational use of it, but there's also a lot of, like, let's call it like diversion, social diversion or work diversion used to it. Go there and share a meme, for example. I've seen a number of things where people have shared and said, you know, hey, am I, am I in the right salary range here for, 
for the amount of well, I mean, you know, I've, I've seen some or, people say, you know, I just I got terminated, and you know, what, you know, should I should I take the the package? And you know, people respond to that. I mean, that's that's sensitive stuff. You wouldn't necessarily want that, you know, to definitely to, I, you, know, to you to be identified with that. <laughs> Right. Yeah. And I, I think that's part of the, the magic in the box we're trying to capture. Part of this is, is being relevant to a wide enough age cohort or just rank cohort. So what we, what we found on Fishbowl and almost surprised everyone is that 30% of our active users are actually 35 plus. And of that, almost 13% of them are 45 plus. We have a very a traditional social network cohort that when we interviewed them, you know, they, they tell us pretty openly, look, I'm not on Twitter. I'm not on Instagram for sure. Um, but I, I, I'm on Fishbowl, and we surmise it to be really because they feel they can let their hair down for a bit. These are like high-powered individuals who are constantly, you know, have to have their best foot forward and, and you know, um, a, a bit of self-filtering. Game face has to be on all the time. Right. Yeah, you can let go of it on Fishbowl. Matt, you talked about the verification and the anonymity. How do you protect the data? Yeah. So, I mean, it really comes down to two, two pieces here. A, the first piece is actually being explicit with the user on what the what the platform how, how what the platform's expectations are, and when you share something, what you should expect. And so we've worked really hard from a UI side to let users know that hey, you have optional identity. That's actually a very difficult. Um, it, it sounds easy to say, but when you design something optional identity in a traditional social network, it's very difficult to design for. And so. Well, user, what do you what do you mean by optional identity? So, uh, so optional identity settings means you know I can come in and now post with my full profile, meaning hey I want to represent myself as a a partner at Baker McKenzie, and here's my name. This is who I am. Um, or you can post as I'm just a partner, um, and you're a verified partner. You know you, when you when you validated yourself during registration, we validated the fact you're a partner. Or finally, you can just post as I work at Baker McKenzie. And so these three identity settings uh, seems relatively simple enough, but in a UI to make it clear to the user that when you post with this one, it's private. It, it, the content is only associated with this anonymous identifier that you're a partner or that you work at Baker McKinsey. But when you post with this one, it's public. So, so the first challenge, honestly, is a, is a, a product design challenge mm -hmm. to make it uh, you know, as clear as possible to the user, depending on how they post, um, and you may ask, well, why do you even bother? It's, it's everything we've seen is there's two dimensions to the fishbowl. There's the networking, there actually is a networking dimension. So believe it or not, when it comes to the direct message channel on fishbowl, 40% of that conversation is with your public identity. Because when you go one-to-one -one with a user, you want to transact offline, you're gonna, you have to give up who you are, right? You, you can meet up. So we have a healthy amount of networking happening on fishbowl in different channels. So we need to support that identity somehow. But in the more public channels, users want to be more anonymous and you know get get at what they want to get at in a more anonymous way. Uh, so a it's the the design. The second is obviously from an architecture side, we've taken it very seriously from the get go. You know, there's level of basic user data encryption that's happening with the databases set up and partitions any kind of posts or comments that are being um, uh, generated by either your public user profile or a private user profile. So we're being very thoughtful in that regard as well. But between the two, the, the, the product design element is, is, is proven to be a, is more difficult, honestly. Right. Now, what if someone screws up? And I mean, I was thinking of, of the, the uh, reply all to email example that, that anybody who's worked in a law firm knows that, that you know, somebody hits reply all and didn't really mean to do that. But what happens when inevitably somebody screws up? 
Yeah, so here's another use case we debate all the time on the product team is that A, in an anonymous context, there is a, a natural propensity to, move, to adopt the behavior of let me get at the knowledge for free, get it, and then delete the post. Meaning, I may post something, get amazing responses, like sometimes hundreds of comments, I got what I wanted, and now I want to delete it. And we can't have that in the sense that, look, this question you're asking is not only applicable to you, it's applicable to thousands of other lawyers or, or uh, in your industry as well. The way we've kind of designed the system is if you can post it anonymously, that's your cover, that you're anonymous. So what we've decided on is if user does it by accident, they do have a window. I believe it's up to a 20-minute window where if they go back, they can delete it instantly. I will also say this, actually, now that I recall, if you post something with your public identifier, you can delete it anytime. Okay. Meaning, okay. in your case, I accidentally posted you know, something with my public identifier. In that case, you, have, you can delete it anytime. For the anonymous use cases, you have a certain window through which you can delete it. You've entered an industry in the, in the legal field now that uh, is very risk adverse. In fact, I can, I can tell you, as soon as emails started going out, uh, inviting people to, to join Fishbowl, because somebody had joined and then shared their contacts, that immediately marketing, HR, IT, all of those groups jumped in and was like, what the hell is this? And do we need to block it? You know, it's, it, right. that sort of thing. What is it that uh, you've seen as far as people saying, well, let me ask you this. Have you seen companies block access to it? Not, not as frequently as you may think. So, okay. uh, you know, one thing we benefited from incrementally every new industry we launch, our playbook gets stronger, our messaging gets better. You know, we can preempt a lot of this stuff because we, we've dealt with it in other prior industries we've launched to. So that, that definitely comes to play. But I think more generally, what we've seen is since a lot of our virality and, and you know, when we, when we map our kind of how we grow, up to this point, almost 60% fishbowl growth is completely unattributable word of mouth. So, you know, with all the fancy analytics that we have under the hood, there's still 60% of users who have no idea where they came from. And that, that presumably means that, you know, one person's telling the other. And, and the benefit of word of mouth is it comes with the trust of the person you get the app, who told you about the app. So in a case where, you know, the app may make you a little fearful because it challenges, you know, some norms a bit, or, you know, it's, it's, it's new, and we know it's common, the axiom is to fear what you don't understand. That's, that's understandable. But, but the fact that the word of mouth comes from a peer, it mitigates that a bit. As far as your, your, I think, to answer your question specifically, we haven't had many companies that have done that. And in the cases where they've done, we've tried to act as, you know, really good actors immediately responding to that company, reaching out to their email IT team, say, hey, this is who we are, this is what we represent. And we do that because we acknowledge the fact the space we're in has been abused by other players. And, and so if we're going to enter this space with better uh, intentions and motivations, we have to be good actors and, and preempt a lot of um, some of the suspicion that might come our way. So we've been pretty proactive. When you invited me to this, this podcast, you know, like, yes. And, and that's part of the reason is, right. is to put ourselves out there. There's nothing, there's nothing that we're doing that we're shy about. So you talked a little bit about the the demographic in terms of of you know age range and I want to tweak that a little bit. So, you know, in the industries that you've entered so far, how have the reactions and participations of workers and bosses differed? Um, have, right. have, have bosses actually stepped in and participated? Yeah. And are there any, you know, best practices that you've seen with, with companies, with a company's take on Fishbowl? So 
to start with, there's definitely some interesting just general behavioral insights we've, we've, uh, we've noticed across industry uh, that, you, that may, may be interesting to speak, to share. So when you look at the advertising agency or advertising sector, uh, partially because the way it's structured, CEO titles in that industry are given a little more uh, freely. You know, there's a lot of this kind of regional CEO distribution of title and whatnot. So partially for that reason, partially for just maybe the more openness that's in that. There's a lot more uh, CEOs, legitimately CEOs, that not only read content, we probably have CEOs across industries that read content, right? They're kind of listening in, you know, what are my employees or what are people in my industry saying? But they're, they're active in the advertising. They'll actually come in and they'll respond to a, a junior creatives question uh, or, uh, you know, if something about their, their ages is being said, they'll respond to it, uh, which is fascinating and really cool to see. And I think that's a function more of whatever way that industry is structured, um, it spills into the app. Uh, I think when you look at uh, other industries, what we also see is, well, let's talk about the commonality. So that's an example of difference. In terms of a commonality, we do see across the board this age distribution uh, stat I shared is consistent. So we definitely get a general type of usage. Now, whether that usage is content creation, you know, responsing or just responding or just reading, that's where the difference go comes in. But partners coming in and consulting and, again, responding to a a work-life balance question or responding to a challenging compensation question that happens all the time in our in our oldest industries we see like in consulting too we do have a lot more structured q a's so something that we launched you know really from the get-go of fishbowl we call them fishbowl q a's they're a bit of town halls and in the companies we're really big at in certain companies you know for example i won't mention the firm names but really notable firm uh, consulting firm names almost 80 percent of their employees on the network and the result is those companies have said, hey, can we host a town hall Q&A on your platform where our CEO or our COO will take a whole hands you know, meeting and you can ask any question and we'll answer it because they know their employees are more engaged on that than they're engaged in their like quarterly webinar, whatever version of Q&A <laughs> called right. that. would be uh, nice uh, so, so, CEO AMA. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> um, I have to, have to bring this idea back. <laughs> so you're talking about a lot about a lot of metrics and a lot of, of data that you're capturing. What are you doing with it? Yeah, uh, so for us, the, the priority right now is to grow the network, but I won't expound on that because I think anybody, any entrepreneur is gonna tell you that, like, yeah, grow the network. When it comes to monetization, which is important, uh, from the get-go, it's been very important for us to be able to align any monetization we do with user, user motivation too. And so when we look at Fishbowl, there's really two primary kind of monetization revenue pillars we're looking at. And we're not reinventing the wheel because thankfully the wheel, in this case, the monetization wheel has already been created by LinkedIn. We could do some piggybacking uh, or Glassdoor. But one model we are looking at is talent brand. Uh, so when you look at the recruitment spend across different firms, there's increasingly a portion of that that's going towards you know, the way companies and, and law firms are marketing themselves to the people they're recruiting. And it falls under this talent brand umbrella. And we feel Fishbowl plays really well into that in that the conversations that are being, you know, created are now tagged to, to law firms or company names. They're being housed on company profiles. And we've had instances where, you know, companies will come in and actually say, hey, we want to do a Q&A. We'll pay you to do that Q&A because it's a platform for our partner or our domain expert to showcase how great to be engaging to the user base and informative and educate them, but at the same time, good for us too. So the talent brand is, is a big opportunity for us, and we're, we're, that's one pillar. 
The other is recruitment. So um, we've done numerous tests, and what we found is that the nature of our model, because we're so verticalized, the benefit is we can transact kind of that job cycle very quickly, meaning every single recruitment manager has been we've spoken with within professional services thus far, I don't know how it's going to play out in law, has told us that 60% of their spend is recruiting intra-industry, so between companies. They're poaching each other's talent, right? right. So this, this accounting firm is taking that account in, and it's going. And our model is perfect for that because, you know, this industry vertical, we have more daily engaged intention amongst that industry cohort than LinkedIn does by far um, from, from a vertical cohort. And if 60% of this recruitment spend is happening poaching, you know, for us, it's just like, it, it's a gimme. It's a plug and play. So we, um, we haven't launched any job uh, post features just yet or, you know, you know, job transaction, but we plan on it. And our users have thus far have told us they, you know, they would actually enjoy doing that. Now, I was wondering, I was looking at some of the questions that are, that are put out. Does Fishbowl have any type of internal questions, surveys, or things that they put out on uh, Fishbowl to get reaction? Yeah, are you generating? Yeah, no, for sure. So we have a community team, and the community team has kind of a dual focus of keeping the, that community, particular industry or whatever bowl associated, engaged. And in regards to that focus... You know, sometimes there's relevant news that's running, and we will think that a particular poll uh, supplemented with a conversation around that poll can be interesting, good fodder. So our community team has some, a bit of an editorial ability around generating a poll and generating interesting conversation, for sure. Beyond that, you know, there is a, you know, we, we do realize there's an opportunity for insights here where, you know, obviously from an anonymized standpoint, if a, a certain company can get a sense of like, how do my employees feel about X, Y, or Z, that can be meaningful and impactful. The truth is on the other side of the coin, we will look that way. There are a lot of tools to do that already, right? There, right. you know, with the point. But from a community engagement standpoint, we found users really do care to like have referendums on different fun topics. One that comes to mind in our, one of our non-traditional knowledge professional cohorts, we launched it to the K through 12 teachers in June. There's around three and a half million of them, um, teachers. I have two sisters who are teachers. Uh, and, and, and what we found is they, uh, you know, they'll love doing polls on everything from, you know, what percentage of you pay out of pocket for school supplies? We found the answer that that was 85%. Yeah. And this was that a sounds low. Sample. <laughs> as as the husband of a teacher, that's that's low. <laughs> but meanwhile, lawyers and you know and, our, and consultants are getting hundred dollar per day per diems a day, and you know sometimes complaining about them on fishbowl. Yeah. So it, it it opens up your eyes a bit. Uh, yeah. How many users do you have on the platform now? So you know what we're comfortable sharing right now is uh, in each of our industries, other than logs, we just launched that literally eight weeks ago, but we're getting there hopefully. We're approaching between 35 and 40% of the professionals in that industry. And to give you a bit of a denominator, we're looking at the top anywhere from 300 to 500 companies within that industry. So it's actually a little easier to come at some of this. People like, well, how do you know this? It's like, well, LinkedIn has done the CRM job of mapping out, you right. know, and, and, and they, have, they have decently reliable numbers. Thanks, LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that's the truth. And so what we found is, in, in all of our previous industries, we've gotten to that 35. Now we're starting to eclipse the 40% mark of penetration. That's really when I think most of the, hopefully what we think is the, meaning, the meaningful, impactful experiences really kind of start to unlock themselves. Uh, so just, I had a quick follow-up question on that. Like I, I received an invite from somebody I knew who I'm, I'm assuming shared you know, contacts. But is yeah. that the only way to join? Can you just go on and join yourself? Um, what, you know, other than again, verifying that you work 
in a particular industry at a particular place, um, is, is th- are there any other ways to, to access? Yeah, so um, we, we do have, it does depend on the particular bowl. So, you know, I guess Reddit has, they call them Reddits on Fishbowl, they're called bowls. And uh, on, on Fishbowl, depending on that bowl, you may or may not have access to or even know it exists. For example, in, I'm trying to think, we have a, a very popular over 40 in advertising bowl. And, you know, unless you're over 40 and in advertising, you're not going to know about it. <laughs> but it's very active. Um, similarly to some of our other networks are, are that as well. When it comes to the, the, the broadest bowls, though, which are kind of industry-wide, those are pretty accessible. Uh, meaning, yes, if you just organically sign up and validate, you know, uh, your, your profession, um, you will be able to get access to that. Actually, that's more of the direction I think we're going towards as we innovate on Fishbowl is to, to try to kind of broaden it out a bit where, and I, I think you asked me what is Fishbowl, it's not just professionals within the same industry, it's also professionals who have the same work or similar work experiences. So it doesn't have to be around industry, right? It could be around, you know, the fact that you're all cre- you're creatives. We have a very active creatives bowl actually where it's advertisers, but it's also, you know, designers and, you know, different we have um, an, a Salesforce bowl where, in some cases, they're consultants, in some cases, they're engineers. You know, these these bowls become more of groups that have a, a bit broader uh, take uh, or, or more general take than just industry as well. Mm-hmm. So, have you experienced trolls or people that violate the standards, and and what have you done? I, yeah. I mean, I have I haven't seen any. I mean, I've seen some slightly snarky things, but nothing serious. So, but I mean, yeah. have you have you had that? Have you had to deal with it? Yeah, I mean, any any and all social. If you're if you if you have social media label appended to your, you're gonna have a bit of that behavior, right? So we we have some of it, um, and I think the public record of it actually is there's a there's a public Reddit group. Uh, I believe it's called Ban from Fishbowl. Oh. <laughs> I gotta go check that out. <laughs> where it didn't feel, um, you know, Fishbowl was uh, uh, either. Uh, anonymous enough or, you know, consenting enough to show whatever opinions and all opinions, um, they stepped some boundary that, and they got banned. And, they got, and, and just so you know, the, our purview here is because you know, the space has been abused, we are, we are pretty stringent. So um, from a broad product design standpoint, we have this system of three strikes. It's not that novel, but basically um, if your content is flagged and, um, you know, and, and there is a community guidelines where we've listed like the, the eight types of, you know, you have a bit of a lawyer a legal take on this on, on you know what constitutes a flag and what's what's a violation if you have three strikes then, then you're you know banned um, and, and and anything prior to that it's it's like a temporary timeout of sorts um, yeah. go stand in the corner it's like when yeah. you're game when you're gaming and you do something wrong you get that temporary timeout and you're allowed to come back and then but if you continue to do it then you're out you do now, and and so we're not that novel. I mean, th- this used to be. I think more and more, even the big guys, the big players, Twitter, whatnot, they're all adopting pretty aggressive uh, community policy procedures now. They weren't initially; they were just focused on growth. That's more of a, a recent well, I mean, change. I gotta um, say, I mean, everything I've seen is just it just ranges from you know pretty standard types of questions to fun things to really really serious topics, um, you know, in terms of wellness and things like that. So, I I mean, I think it's, it's, it's quite good in terms of, of being able to crowdsource people's, um, responses to try and help one another out. You know, it's been good for us, I should say, or we've been, we've benefited from two, two filters naturally in the space we're in. First off, because we're professional oriented, all the, uh, very noisy, contentious, 
political debates that you see on Twitter and sport debates and whatnot don't apply in Fishbowl for the most part. And that's where the majority of trolls come into play. Right. And so in that sense, and then the other part, the other thing we've benefited from is there is self, some self-policing on Fishbowl where users have told us that, again, the accountability part, we know the platform knows us. Oh, by the way, in the UI, you know, like, why don't you make that full profile toggle a little further than the anonymous? Well, actually, you know, we've designed that purposely. We, we want you to be cognizant before you post something you might regret, right? So we, we, we've taken this into account and, and we benefited from some of these, some of these things. It's, yeah. it's sort of the standard rule. If you're posting anything to social media, make sure that uh, your parents wouldn't, yeah, would, well, you know, but your parents would be okay seeing it. Your, your boss or your grandmother. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, enough with the trolls. Let's let's finish on an on an up note here. So, what are some more positive stories that you've seen? Some uh, people that have posted things that have gotten some uh, some more positive feedback. Yeah. So, I think the the most inspirational content for me. This is very subjective, but for me at least, that I've read on Fishbowl. It, it's a blend of something that's you know deeply personal, but also very beneficial to others. And so, for example, there was a story shared in one of our bowls where it was a, a, a female manager in, in advertising. And she had a junior many years younger than her and she became aware that she was being paid less than this junior by a substantial amount, right? So this whole kind of gender pay equity or pay parity topic. And she posted on Fishbowl and uh, there was a lot of like, how could this happen? How do you not notice this, all this? But then there was one particular user who came in I can't remember their title. They're very senior. They're either like COO or, you know, very senior come in and said, this is what you do. One, two, three, four, five. And just started coaching her exactly what you need to do to correct this. And there was a back and forth. And I think many days later that, that user came back and said, hey, you know, I got adjusted. I'm not making 15% more than that. Right. And so for us, that's, that, that's the value, right? Where it's, the, the type of conversation you just you really can't share it anywhere else because you're not comfortable and you also don't have the access to get that value right and like where where else you know if you're in you know I, I live in New York now right it's pretty easy for me to reach out to one of my network circles of people in New York who have answers to these questions some of our most fanatical you know loyal users are in the Midwest or more remote parts they don't have access to this network they have no one to turn to and so for this user wherever they were to turn to Fishbowl and someone who did have that answer and get it, that was, that was um, I think that was a positive story that I know the team's inspired by. Matt Sambuli, I'd like to thank you again for taking time to talk to with us today. Yeah, this has been a really interesting conversation. Thank you so much. Totally. Thanks for, thanks for having me. It was fun. Well, it was great having Matt on the show. Um, <laughs> like we said when we introduced him, I did. I thought this was going to be a dumpster fire. I, was, I can't imagine. You know, all I could see was the comment section from above the law. And it was interesting that you talked about, it says, you know, every industry has that type of I did of not know that. Yeah. I did not know that. So well, it makes I, sense. I, it's true. It, true, it does. But yeah. you just don't think about it except in your own profession because that, that impacts you. Yeah. But, <laughs> but I was, I thought like the model was very interesting. The fact that you have, have these different bowls. In, in different industries, or I also love how they 
basically look at the analytics and say, okay, what are some commonalities mm-hmm. between different groups, and let's bring those people together. Yeah, it's, it, it sounds like it could really tentacle out um, with with a lot of different topics mm-hmm. as well as industry. So very interesting. If you haven't taken a look at Fishbowl, I suggest at least going out and, and looking at it. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen questions. What was the question today? Somebody asked if it's okay to vape in, in the office. <laughs> but I mean, it's a... But then, then there's, there's other questions um, in terms of what's appropriate to wear to the office, mm-hmm. you know, which sounds sort of, you know, well, I don't know about that, but but actually, those those are real questions that yeah. people worry about. Well, and I, I've seen questions like, "Do you charge for this particular piece of work that you do?" And you found some people do, some people don't. So mm-hmm. it's a it's really a good place to have those conversations that you may not. How do not, I get yeah. more feedback on on my work? Um, they're they're all really good, legitimate con, you know questions yeah. in terms of of people who. Who need answers? Yeah. Well, I I hope it continues to stay on this path. Me too. Because I remember the good days of of Twitter. And and I would love for those days to come back. Come back. (laughs) So thanks again, Matt, for taking the time to talk with us today. And before we go, we want to remind listeners to take the time to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Rate and review us as well. If you have comments about today's show or suggestions for a future show, you can reach us on Twitter at, at @gaybauerm or at Glambert, or you can call the Geek and Review Hotline at 713-487-7270 or email us at geekandreviewpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, I think we need a little love for the hotline and, yeah. and, and the podcast uh, email. So Yeah, send us some love. Yeah, please. <laughs> and as always, the music you hear is from Jerry David DeSicca. Thank you, Jerry. Yeah, thanks, Jerry. All right, Marlene, I will talk with you later. Okay, Greg. Bye-bye.